Hello, welcome to episode 187 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, I have promised that um, two episodes ago that Fong was going to be back. But uh, unfortunately, if you guys listened to last episode, he was not back. Uh, I unfortunately broke that promise and I, I try to make it up to you by promising that Fong was going to be back. Well, he is back this time. Hello. Hello. <laughs> he he is finally back. So which means we can finally talk about the draft. And of course, we will get into, you know, Fong's thoughts on the coaching search and uh, the playoffs so far. But we're all here. At least I'm here. I, this is what I'm excited about. The, the draft. Uh, it's a regular place that the Kings go to after this after the offseason. Uh, 16 years, in fact. Um, so yeah well let's get that started well so i want to so of course the lottery has not happened yet we don't know what order we're going to be in you know once we get our order maybe we get into the top four maybe we get the number one pick for the love of god we might even drop back to ninth so before all that happens before you know the sky before the sky falls down and the kings get the first pick or the kings fans get their hopes crushed let's talk about the the three best players the three on most boards i won't say like it's conclusive that these are the three players but um most people seem to say the best the three best players in this draft are chet holmgren jabari smith and paulo banquero benichero uh how do you say it Bob? i'm gonna just go with banquero banquero it is okay well uh let, let's get started with chet the projected number one pick, uh, well, at least from what I've read, there's some there's some people who put Jamari there, some people even put Paolo there, and there's even rumors that Shane Sharp might be going number one. But uh, Shane Sharp's kind of all over the place. We won't go over him in this episode. But so, anyways, let's start. I guess alphabetically, Chet Holmgren. All right. So let's start with his strengths. Um, and I just noticed on my notes that I don't have his heights or. Or any of their He's heights. Seven or, one, I believe. Yeah, I don't have any of their heights or uh, weights because that plays a big role, <laughs> especially with certain uh, some of these guys, because one of his strengths is his defense. Now he gets about three point seven blocks per game, and you know he's a really great big, uh, good, uh, good weak side blocker, and you know he's a very tall guy. But very skinny, and we'll get to that. Uh, really good pick and roll defense uh, defender, surprisingly, due to his size. I mean, he's elite in the drop coverage, and uh, great. Uh, he has a great combination of mobility, rim protection, IQ. He's best at funneling defending, uh, sur- uh, surprisingly, uh, rather than in switches. Uh, but sadly, he does need some improvement on the closeouts and cross sets because, you know, he's seven one, very big, but he's a very solid lateral mover. And, you know, he, he's not so quick to change directions due to his size, but he does only allow opponents to shoot about 31% on ISO against him. Okay, so you just asked me the weight. He is he is seven one, no, seven feet. 190 pounds uh, on ESPN. He's 195 pounds. Uh, why I'm why I'm listing his weight. Jaden Ivy is 6'4", 195. So this man is skinny. He's a stick figure, and we'll have to see if he can put on some weight. But that is a very very skinny dude. And you you just mentioned like you know like it is college, so like it's not a 
it's not like a perfect measurement, but like the fact that he can actually defend an ISO pretty well because he's just so goddamn long. And like, while he's not great at changing directions, like you can have you can have him beat, but he can recover so fast because he's so goddamn long. I think I think his wingspan is seven six, if I remember right. Dear God, <laughs> yeah. Like looking at his highlights, I mean, yeah, I could see he could be a great defender. Uh, his speed, yeah, like I said, uh, can be slow, but I mean, uh, depending on what uh, you know. I guess depending on who he's defending, I, I mean, it should be all fine. He's probably going to play mostly, possibly in the paint. Uh, they didn't really say much about his perimeter defense other than, you know, he's just a great blocker. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure eventually uh, his footwork will improve once he gets acclimated into NBA court, possibly, you know? So, like, well, have you talked to, have you talked about his offense yet? Can you talk a little, just a little bit about his offense? Mm, well, I don't want to, like, move on, but uh, I guess some of his offense is, you know, he's 39% from free. I mean, shot almost 80% at the basket beyond the half court, and that's not including the post-ups. Um, uh, let's see, what other offense should I even talk about? Just talk about just just give me the yeah just give me you know the the nuts and bolts I guess about the rest of his game because he is very interesting on offense and um, I've I've heard like James Ham has talked about that he had he didn't really show like half, he didn't even show half the stuff he can do at Gonzaga so that's the part that's very interesting to me like I didn't think he could shoot the release isn't isn't very fast but like it the form looks fine for the most part to me mm-hmm. I'm interested if he can actually shoot I see well let's go with his finishing real quick uh so like I said he shot about 80 percent at the basket in the half court that doesn't include post-ups, which is ridiculous. I mean, his height, he shoots over guys for sure. Uh, he's not really explosive, but he has a good, a pretty good ability if he uh, can be uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, going to NBA. Uh, his footwork as a roller, surprisingly, is very good. Uh, you know, being so tall and long, uh, he could catch those uh, wobs any uh, time. Uh, you know, he should pretty much be involved in a lot of dribble handoffs and empty side or stain pick and rolls. Uh, and, you know, of course, due to his height, he's a dunker. <laughs> uh, and he can feed pretty well and, you know, may play pretty well Fox in a way. Okay, so, yeah, I'm very, so the, the other part that's very, in, that's very interesting to me, that, that Hoop Intellect specifically said, he is more or less going to be a 4-5. Don't expect him to be a 3, which I don't know why you would ever expect him to be a 3, mm. unless you're Vladi Divac somehow, but, like, I I am very interested in him, like, just, again, the, the fact that, uh, that apparently, reportedly, he's only shown half of what he can do, like, the handling, the shooting, Kind of some of the off to dribble stuff. I, I think he, I think he said he he wasn't a great creator, like one on one creator. He's more of a a guy that needs to be set up, right? Yeah, his ball security, of course. I mean, he's skinny. It's easy to swipe him, especially when he's stuck in traffic. Uh, most likely, he would need to be created for, but uh, I guess depending on the situation, of course. Well, like the the guy that that you know he reminds me of and granted he's a unicorn all on his own is evan mobley 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's long. He like, I think he's a better shooter than ever Mobley, but like what, what he reminds me of is, you know, the height, the length and the instinct to play. Mm-hmm. And that's the guy who, like, if the Kings draft him, he's the guy I'm hoping to kind of replicate. And Evan Mobley transformed that K- Cleveland team. Like, just being that kind of, you know, the KG-esque bit. I'm not saying Evan Mobley's as good as KG, but a, but a guy that's seven feet, can move his feet, has defensive instincts, and before he even really knows how to play NBA basketball, is affecting the game so drastically. Like, that's what I'm hoping, that, that's what I'm looking for Chet to be if he was drafted by the Kings. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has a, I mean, this is college, 69.1 true shooting, uh, especially for one who shoots 39% from three and, you know, uh, can post and uh, shoot mid-ranges pretty well for himself. And, you know, uh, they have mentioned that he does have a, sort of a, I guess you could say, dirt-like move. Uh, I mean, he has that kind of soft touch and great footwork that uh, from the highlights that I saw that, you know, looks promising, but I don't know how much we'll see uh, in terms of the post uh, with him. Okay. Um, well, I don't expect him to post that much, to be honest, just mm-hmm. because, you know, Sabonis is on this team and that that space is occupied by Sabonis. And he's more or less just kind of going to roam on the weak side or, you know, spot up even. But you know, I expect him. I expect him to be effective if he was to be paired with this team. Yeah, other than his like pretty good footwork and you know handles for uh, in terms of his offense, uh, do you have any other stuff to talk about him? I don't, I don't really like. I mean, I didn't take detailed notes like you did, but like mm-hmm. he just he just remind again. He the template for him is Evan Mobley. Just being that big, that, you know, that Swiss army knife, the the unicorn, the kind of, you know, the code breaker, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like just the ability to be able to guard the perimeter at seven feet tall. Like there were moments where uh, Evan Mobley was guarding guards like full time. Like he was legitimately guarding a guy, a, like a small guard and perimeter and did a damn good job because he's so goddamn long and just so goddamn quick. And that's again, that's what I'm hoping for for the Kings because you know the Kings do need a guy like that to be basically a guy that can defend and possibly even shoot and mm-hmm. rebound and you know defend. Like they yeah. they haven't had the the perfect combination of that player yet, and Chet will basically solve every one of those problems. Yeah, let's hope that happens if he ever does. You know, get drafted with the Kings, but let's move on to the weaknesses because. I was trying to compare it to Evan Mowey. I mean, the first uh, weakness that I could have thought of is, you know, he is 7'1", but he is 195 pounds. And I believe Evan Mowey is a lot heavier than that. Let, I will check that. But again, the fact that uh, Jaden Ivey is 6'4", and is either five pounds heavier for him, or, or heavier than him, that or the same weight is pretty ridiculous. But you know, moving on. I mean, Evan Mobley is two fifteen, so that's a good twenty five pounds heavier than him. Mm, ah, I see. Yeah, I mean, he probably will gain weight eventually. I don't know. You know, his body. Look, I don't think it's. I don't think it's an issue at all. Just because the heavier guys are going to be guarded by Sabonis, like you know, Chet is not going to like. Sure, there can be fours that can quote unquote bully him, but he's so goddamn long that it's not going to be a problem. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think. And yeah, again, the the actual Bruce, like there were people that were like saying that were basically posting this one clip of I believe it was Jalen Duran, you know, like a six eleven beast of a man who's like nineteen years old, like bullying uh, Chet Holmgren. But at the same time, that was like the one play <laughs> that entire game that he got him. Like the rest of the game, it wasn't a problem because he's so goddamn long and just knows positioning. So like, it's not, it, it won't, it, I don't think it'll be an issue and he'll fill out a little bit. But the question is like, can he get to like say 220 and not mm. lose any of his athleticism? Like, is he gonna, is he gonna be around 205? That is like really crazy skinny. And you know, God forbid it is, it sounds very injury prone to a certain degree. But yeah. Well, that those are the intangibles with him that I I that no nobody's gonna know basically, and that you'll just have to see. But I believe in him. He has the instinct. He has the length, and apparently the competitive fire as well. Yeah, he's definitely that kind of unicorn that a lot of teams would love. And yeah, for me, it's it's a kind of a big uh, what if uh, so far. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see. But uh, moving on, you know. Uh, I talked about his ball security. You know, he's easy to swipe away due to, you know, being so skinny and he keeps the ball pretty low for some reason, Uh, but, you know, can be fixed in the NBA court setting. Uh, When he does box out for rebounds, he he box outs well, but for some reason, he doesn't react in time. That's, I mean, not really a big deal from what I've seen from the videos, but, you know, uh, at least he tries to battle in the paint and you know allows tips uh you know to get his teammates uh the offensive rebound or you know rebound in general uh and other than that he oh this is the part (laughs) we've been talking about uh he can't really create offense for himself in the half court because he doesn't really have a real first step or burst in his game i mean I think that could be fixed in the NBA, in my opinion, as well. I just, I just don't think it's going to be an issue. Now, the, now we'll get into Jabari a little bit too. But one of the criticisms about the the kind of how this class is a bit weak, especially up top, is because neither Chet or Jabari probably will won't be uh, number one options because they don't have that quick first step. They don't have the burst. But, like, for the most part, I'm not looking for Chet or Jabari to be, like, that kind of, like, first like first team option or first option on a team. Like, we kind of have those already, in a way. Like, granted, yeah. we probably need more of those kinds of guys. And it's, it's you know, we'll want to see if Fox and Sabonis are first options, first or second options. But, like, I'm not looking for Chet or Jabari to be that those kinds of creators anyways. Hmm. I see. Yeah, they're mostly supporting casts at the moment, in my opinion. Granted, so. really good supporting players. Like, yeah. you put Jabari or Chet on this on this team, like, you know, they're replacing Chemezi Metsu. Not no shade to Chemezi Metsu, but like, that's the position we need. <laughs> yeah, sadly enough. Let's uh, see. Do you have anything else on Chet? Mm, not that I could see. All right. Well, then let's move on to Jabari. Give me, give me the scoop on Jabari. So, starting off with his strengths, his jump shot. I gotta say, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous jump shot. Yeah, it is beautiful. High release, very fluid on the follow through. I was like, I was watching. I was like, my God, that man is a shooter. <laughs> he has like 
pretty good footwork and balance. Shoots 42% from uh, the free on 5.5 attempts per game. And uh, in terms of catch and shoots, 41.4% on catch and shoots, 65.2% on uh, unguarded catch and shoots. Uh, very good friend off the dribble for his free point shooting. Uh, and other than that, like, he's a, I mean, he's a role man as well. <laughs> Yeah, basically just an incredible, incredible, like just kind of forward, kind of like forward center shooter. Like again, 6'10", high release, beautiful jump shot, can shoot off the dribble, catch and shoot, everything that you want. And just, yeah, there there's there are kinks to it. Like he's not, again, not a great one-on-one uh, creator as far as I know, if I remember right. But just again, a guy that slots in to like a role on any team. And especially when it comes to the Kings, who need, you know, more guys like he, he he's kind of like a taller, younger Harrison Barnes. That's kind of what he reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Especially how he, you know, does his half dribble pull ups and, you know, his he has a fade game as well. And he can go in either direction as well. Uh, and he's pretty good at protecting the ball and is very comfortable at different angles and set points. Uh, and for some reason, this is a pro uh, for Hoopinoids, and he has a rare, a really good tough shot making, I guess, percentage. He does shoot over guys a lot, but I don't know how that's a strength, to be honest. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, you have, you know, the, the shot clock is winding down. You need a bucket from someone and he can just shoot over his man. Like, that's how I see it. Like probably don't want him to shoot that many fades, but like yeah. you know, it's it's an option out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, his offense. I mean, his. I mean, in general, his threes <laughs> just looking real nice, and I'm pretty high on him to be honest, just because of his offense. But going off to his perimeter defense, <laughs> he moves quickly laterally. He's very aggressive and closes space. Uh, especially when you know uh, the guy uh, dribbling the ball just fumbles all of a sudden he closes out the space really good defender uh, opponents uh, shot only about 25.7% on him uh, of course this, these are college numbers so it could always change and he is really is a really good pick and roll uh, ball handler uh, defender Jeez, uh, excuse me. It's allergy season. It uh, is indeed allergy season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's very active in hands, often poking the ball away, and he will turn up that tenacity and uh, ball pressure when the handler struggles. Uh, and he's, I, I feel like I'm repeating these, and he's a versatile <laughs> pick and roll defender, and he can potentially guard the three positions, meaning one, two, and three, or excuse me, two, three, and four. And sometimes, you know, kids switch on to ones and fives. Yeah, just the, you know, as I said, Chet is more of a four, five defender. And I think it even says in Hoop Intellect's video, like he's more of a three, four defender. Now he's not a great rim protector. He doesn't seem to have those instincts, but he, but James Ham does mention, like there are a lot of guys like Jabari who play next to, already plays next to a perim or a uh, rim protecting center. So the opportunity just isn't there for him to protect the rim and, you know, in what he possibly could do. So like, you know, while he might not, like the numbers might not show and maybe some, even some of the tape doesn't even show, like there, there's a lot of potential on that end. 
but but the most important thing is that he is a guy that can play defense is long is quick and energetic and you can never go wrong with those kinds of guys a plus he can really really shoot i have have i told you he has a beautiful jump shot yes he, i think we mentioned it enough yeah pretty much the perfect definition of a free and d guy yeah and and like sorry to cut you off but like does it remind you a little bit of the clay thompson-esque like three and d like you know just a little bigger probably not as good of a defender as clay or prime clay used to be but like that's the that's the template right there mm -hmm. that's the uh, that's definitely the ceiling <laughs> but for the floor for sure it's just uh you know a really good free and d player <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Keep interrupting you. Oh, no. Just a uh, final point of his strengths. Uh, uh, he's a really good grab and go guy, uh, especially when uh, they push uh, in transition. Uh, you know, he grabs the rebound. He, they push as a team to the other end to create a bucket. That's that's pretty much the last trick like I mentioned. Okay, um, I guess I guess I just I, I think guess I'm jumping here, but like, what do you what did you think of Hoopinelec's uh, comparison of him to Rashard Lewis? I'm I'm surprised he chose Rashard Lewis to be honest. I don't I like I didn't watch when Rashard Lewis played. I do remember him being a good shooter. I don't remember honestly anything else he did, but like he was a tall shooter, so I just thought it was interesting. I don't know if you know much about Rashard Lewis. I don't know much about Richard Lewis either. I mean, the first man to uh, come to mind in terms of 3 and D is, of course, Clay, but that's a very high ceiling and I guess a poor comparison as of right now coming from uh, Jarbari Smith in college. So, yeah, I can't really think of another uh, kind of guy like uh, Jabari Smith. So, yeah, we got a lot of unicorns up top. So, you know, again, like Rashard Lewis was pre probably pretty good. He was an all-star, I believe, in 2009. So there, there's something there. I just, I just didn't watch him play, unfortunately. May People do tell me that Rashard Lewis was really good back in his day. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, sad we didn't, we didn't watch during those times. Anything right. else you want to talk about with Jabari? Nope, but I'm going to be moving on to his weaknesses. So hit him, hit him, hit me with him. So in terms of his finishing as explosiveness, uh, he only shoots around fifty-two point one percent around the basket, which you know is fine uh, since it's just college. And he kind of lacks that general explosiveness and dexterity when it comes to traffic, which I mean that comes with time and IQ. Uh, once he gets to the NBA. Uh, he has flashes to attack on closeouts and going coast to coast and, you know, gain those dunks, though. So there's that. Uh, he only uh, shoots about 4.8 free throws uh, a game, but that's mostly uh, drawing fouls through uh, his, you know, three-point jumpers or jumpers in general and rip-throughs and not really, you know, not really that uh, free throw getter, kind of like uh, how Fox is. Or, you know, a Harrison Barnes kind of guy. But like Harrison Barnes, it took him a lot of years to be able to build that. And again, we're talking about stuff that, you know, a first option does. Like, you know, if you're on a Rockets who kind of need a first option, unless Jalen Green turns into that, you, you need a guy like that on a team. But like the Kings don't need a guy like that. They more, they, they need a, a kind of supporting player who can do a lot of the other things like right. 
like you know spot up shooting play perimeter defense and just you know do the do some of the little things they don't need they don't like say need more you know elite creators although it would help they don't need it mm-hmm. so moving on uh his rim protection you have mentioned it he's not really that kind of natural rim protect uh protector help defender he only gets one block per game on average which yeah should be fine uh and he has the biggest disadvantage guarding against uh bigger and better inside scorers which i mean most likely i don't think i mean like you said sabonis will be taking most of the weight from there and let's not forget harrison barnes is a thick is a thick boy too right he, he can guard those bigger guys and you know jabari can handle the two <laughs> if anything mm. or the, oh, or the yeah. threes out there yeah just create a loss which is <laughs> Uh, in terms of his driving and offensive uh, creation, it definitely needs an improvement uh, in terms of him driving and as a ball handler. And, you know, more, in terms of more consistency uh, to go to the rim, because there's not many uh, clips of him going to the rim as much, especially during traffic. From what we've seen, it's uh, apparently a big weakness, but of course, uh, I forgot who from the past that we've done uh, that we said that he wasn't a really good uh, guy to drive to the rim, but all of a sudden he was <laughs> pretty well off uh, in terms of the NBA. Mm. You'll have you'll, you'll have to make me think. I'm, I'm thinking Donovan Mitchell is the first guy I think of, but that's probably not the right guy. Yeah, I don't think we reviewed Donovan Mitchell in our initial draft. Uh, Analysis because <laughs> well we didn't we didn't have a podcast at that point so uh, I keep on switching Donovan to Davion I'm sorry <laughs> yeah well well uh, if it comes up it comes up but you know again these are these are kind of almost nitpicky stuff if you will like again we're not really asking to be a first option like sure like. I think guys, I think people will jump out at it on jump shots and then it'll create an open lane and then, you know, the offense will kind of go from there. I don't think it's a big, like, as big of an issue, at least like in the regular season, like him not really having, not really being able to attack closeouts. I think, you know, with NBA spacing, these things change and like he'll have more, he'll have like less attention focused on him. Like he, he was one of the best players, like he was one of the best players on his team. So like the team. The opponent was focused on him more like in the nba like on the kings the most of the attention is going to be on sabonis and fox and you know they're going to create more space for him and it'll be easier for him to attack closeouts mm. oh yeah because they will bite on that pump fake mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure also he, need, he also he has trey lyles he's gotta he's gotta learn how to how to do the pump fake it'll be perfect, <laughs> it'll be perfect. oh man well, hopefully uh, we have a long training camp with these guys, and depending on the coach, which we'll get to, we'll see how uh, their offensive scheme works with uh, our team. Okay. Um, anything else on Jabari? I mean, so the last weakness, which I mean, pretty much Sabonis will be taking care of, is the decision-making passing. Uh, he forces uh, the ball uh, at times, and, you know, he used to make quicker uh, decisions on making decisive plays because he gets quite a few turnovers. Uh, and he does shoot a lot of ill-advised shots. I mean, knowing him as a the great free and D guy he is, I mean, 
he does shoot a lot of uh, bad shots, but uh, of course, all this could be all fixed eventually. Yeah, I was just with a little extra experience, and you know, it, again, th this is just the process of mat maturing uh, his game, and he'll learn what a good shot is and what a bad shot is, hopefully. And you know, he'll he'll kind of find a comfort spot. I mean, and and again, with guys like Fox and Sabonis out there to kind of take the kind of take the pressure off of him to have to say create as much as he does like i don't think it'll be an issue mm -hmm. well other than that do you have anything else to talk about uh with jabari no i do not uh let's move on to paolo if you have nothing else all right so paolo benchero or benchero sorry uh, let's start with his strengths his size he is 6'10", 250 pounds. My God, he is a freight train. And when I look at him, his legs are big. <laughs> they are big legs. Yeah, again, that's what, that's almost LeBron level of like, you know, what's it called? Girthiness, if you will. And like he... He is, he is a big boy. I, I didn't realize that about him. Like, he, he, again, 6'10", just a beast of a man, it looks like. And he's, what, 20 years old? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. He has that kind of, kind of LeBron-esque, in a way, uh, in terms of his drives. And uh, we'll get to that. Uh, going on uh, with his shot creation, he is a self-creator. He's a good ball handler. And he's comfortable on the dribble pull-ups and can get to the basket very easily. Uh, in terms of his percentages, in his uh, mid-ranges, he's 47.5%, short-range 41.1% uh, when getting to his spots, and 44.9% on post-ups. Very good post uh, guy. He loves to hang, dribble, and push out, uh, right with cross legs between the hezzy moves. Uh, and he uses a shimmy jab, which haven't seen in, <laughs> haven't seen this uh, move in a while, uh, pretty effectively to create advantages before the dribble. Um, I mean, he keeps shots pretty simple when heading downhill. Once he gets the bucket, he gets the bucket. That's his point. And he's very tough to stop once he gets his step in. And, you know, using his size, 6'10", 250 pounds, and ability to spin, and he has the ability to spin in either direction for finishes in terms of post moves. And he uses the half spin pivots uh, very often as a counter for step through or fades. Yeah. Um, remember how I just said like Chet and Jabari, like they don't have that burst. They don't have like the power, the first step. Well, Paolo does have that. Granted, like, you know, as a rookie, do you want like him running the show the way he does it? But like, you know, he was, he was, he was put on this earth to be big and get buckets. And that is exactly what he's going to do when he gets into the NBA. Now, in terms of spot ups and in terms of like, you know, working off the ball, that's going to be a work in progress. But like, yes, he has the ability to get buckets and be a first option. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's move on to his playmaking. So he averaged about 4.3 assists per game over the last 12 games he played in uh, college. He's very consistent on the driving kicks, uh, especially when he's uh, especially timely and getting on target. He made a lot of touch lobs, wraparounds, drop-offs with ease. Uh, he's kind of that grab-and-go transition guy that pushes the tempo and plays with his head and eyes. I, that's a very good, uh, whatchamacallit, I guess, uh, perk 
in terms of uh, what you might call it, you know, surveying the grounds and you know, the court in transition. Very good passer in the post, and you know he has that great patience, especially reading uh, doubles and helps. Uh, again, you know he he is a he is probably the best first option out of all three of these guys. But at the same time, like I mean, th- this is I mean all this is great, and you know there there is I think it can fit on the Kings, but like in terms of just like he has a complete offensive game again not like you would think he's a black hole type guy who just worries about getting buckets but he can sense like when there's help coming and he will make the right play and yeah that's the part that surprised me i didn't think he was like as i guess as mature of a passer as well like he he has like mature footwork he has mature moves and scoring moves spin moves but like the fact that he can also add like you know the the more simple reads is not advanced level yet but there's there's a lot of potential there, and like it's already a like the, the pieces are already there, and you know you you don't know what the ceiling is in terms of these skills. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a pretty interesting fit if he were to be a king. But for some reason, and I'm I'm kind of jumping the boat here real quick. I, for some reason, can't really see him fit with the kings. First, yeah, I don't know why. I think he can because like, you know, a, a player who can score and be a threat and can, you know, can draw help, but also the ability to be able to see the help and make the right play, it can work. It's not clean because he's not really like a a, a knockdown three-point shooter. He's more of a mid-range shooter, if you will. Yeah. Like, it's not a perfect fit, but I can see it working. Like, mm-hmm. it, you need, in this in this league, the, the main thing you need is talent. And Paolo is talent. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, final strength is you know he he's a really good pick or has really good potential to be that pick and roll ball handler. Uh, he also has potentials to be a playmaker in terms of the uh, ro- being the role man. You know, getting those posters, pick and roll ball handler horns. And I forgot what DHO was for some Triple reason. Handoff. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So as you mentioned, like a lot of plays, he can work off of Sabonis, and you know he can he can work in an offense. I can see it. It'll be it'll be a tricky fit. It, like Chet and Jabari, I feel are clean fits on this team, and fills and like fills needs that would you know elevate the Kings right away. Paolo is a bit more trickier. He there will be an adjustment period for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Do you have any other strengths for him? I, I do not. Again, I didn't take those kinds of notes. Uh, mm. Just, but like my, uh, I'll, I guess I'll jump the gun now. But like he, he reminds me of Tobias Harris. <laughs> like he really does. Probably with a bet with better passing ability. But like that's kind of what I see him as. Hmm. I see. Yeah, I could see it. That'd be pretty interesting. You think we'll still be getting to Tobias after all these, uh, this time about talking about him? Well, nowadays, no. <laughs> well, the reason why I want him was to get Ben Simmons, but that's not happening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on with his weaknesses. Uh, he has a very weird defensive consistency. Uh, you know, he lacks discipline and awareness uh, defensively, especially off the ball and in terms of rotations. Uh, he does have a tendency to fall asleep or get too attached to the man or ball instead of seeing both. 
um, not really much a rim protector or shot blocker, but he looks better as a help defender, in my opinion. Uh, he does have some miscommunication with uh, pick and roll and timing uh, in terms of defense, and it could be a slight concern due to our history in terms of uh, pick and roll uh, defense. Uh, but his highest potential is as a one-on-one and a switcher when he is engaged. And he only allowed his opponents 21.9% in ISO and 13% uh, guarding to pick and roll ball handlers. And, you know, these are all college stats, so that could all change in the NBA. Look, my, my main note is that his defense is not good for the most part. Like, the <laughs> yeah. sure, the on-ball stuff, there's potential there, but, like, that's potential. I, I, he's gonna get blown by a lot by NBA athletes, and but in, in in the NBA, I think a lot of those are fixable if he's in the right system. The Kings likely are not that system. Let's be honest. But like you know, we'll see. We'll see what this coaching staff will bring um, in terms of like defense, like how they teach defense. But but I think it's very fixable. Like the tools are there for him to be a very good on-ball defender, for him to be a good team defender. But like you know, a lot there's gonna be there's gonna be some growing pains with him, and you never know like in terms of just w- whether or not he'll be a good team defender. That's all about IQ, and I can't say for sure he'll be a great team defender. But mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of it is fixed. Oh yeah. Uh, well, moving on, uh, shooting consistency. I mean, he's. I'm pretty sure we mentioned this. He's not a good three point shooter. Thirty three point eight percent on three point three attempts per game. Uh, but he did improve to 45% in the last 11 games. Take it with a grain of salt, if you will. Uh, and in terms of, you know, him as a finisher, I mean, he can improve as a finisher uh, when it comes to getting to the basket, uh, especially in traffic. Uh, he has that explosive presence, but he only shot 58.1%. Uh, that's not considered post-ups. And like I said, take it with a grain of salt. It can always change when it comes to the NBA and over time. Uh, other than that, I mean, he just needs to improve on his decision making uh, in terms of uh, what you might call it, getting assists, I guess. Okay, after going through all these guys, um, so out of the three, give me your rank, uh, one through three. Who would you draft first? Or if, let's pretend in the scenario we have the first pick. Mm-hmm. Rank who would rank who from one to three? What were your favorite options? Uh, th- now this is tough. It's gonna be between Jabari Smith or Chad. Now, yeah, sorry, uh, Paolo, and I'm I'm on the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> now, as much as I love the unicorn of Chet Holmgren, I think I might have to pick Jabari first. Yes, and, we have a difference of opinion. Keep going. Okay, Jabari Smith first, Chet second, and Powell third. Tell me what about Jabari makes you pick him over Chet? Now, as much as I love Chet because he is such a unicorn, as I said, <laughs> I think Jabari shooting uh, and his, you know, offense in general would benefit us greatly because we definitely do need the, that three-point uh, shoot shooting. Uh, and in terms of his defense, I mean, he's just that 
he's not the perfect 3 and D guy in uh, my mind, but you know, having him as an addition in our team and being that, I guess, um, piece, I guess you could say, uh, can greatly benefit us. So, like, I, I, I love, I love what you said. You know, about the shooting, the perimeter defense, the you know, being a piece of a good defense. Now, Chet, of course, probably isn't as good as Jabari offensively. Just like the shooting, just shooting is, you know, it's S level, I feel, with um, Jabari. But but the thing that separates, like, it's, and granted, it's not an easy choice for me, but Chet's defense and the instinct to be able to probably, he can probably anchor a good defense by himself and is probably going to be a defensive player of the year at some point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is going to be a very good, he's going to play the four five position and Jabari is more of a three, four. Mm -hmm. Now I'm more interested in a four five because that's what you need to to be a good defense in the NBA. You need a a good rim protector uh, who's a big man. Uh, Now, of course, you know, uh, Sabonis, while he is a good positional defender, and he is a guy that you cannot back down, like, I remember him kind of pr- pretty effectively shutting down Jonas Valanciunas that one game. But, like, he is he is not really a rim protector. He just simply doesn't have the length and size to really do it. But if you put Chet next to him, I think that can basically fix the defense. Hmm. Ah, interesting. I see. So, let's see. Sabonis will be, you know, the center, and Chet will be the four, you're saying? Chet will be the four, and he'll be the kind of the rim protector next to him. And on offense, you'll have to figure that out. But, like, it's not like Chet can't shoot, although you probably want to utilize him around the rim as, like, an offensive rebounder. But, like, I think I think you can figure out offensively. Offensively, I'm not as worried because you have Fox, you have uh, Sabonis. They can create. And then, like, you know, Chet will just you know, can be either a spot up three point shooter, or maybe he can be the other guy down, down there. Like you can't really help off of him. Maybe he's a vertical threat, you know, as a lob threat and, you know, um, and some bonus can maybe also set him up from the high post. You never know. Hmm. The more I think about it, <laughs> as we are talking, uh, what Jabari's defense, I mean, I'm, I'm still debating on whether he should play the three or four because Harrison Barnes does switch off between the three and four as well. And he does guard uh, fours pretty well, and by four, uh, by fours, I mean uh, Harrison Barnes does. So, mm, I feel like Jabari, in my opinion, would be playing the three more and Barnes four for some reason. I mean, look, it, I mean, it doesn't really matter on offense. Like, yeah, both of them can shoot. It's more the defensive thing, and you know, like Jabari probably can't guard fours just yet, anyways, just because yeah. he is skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not like skinny, skinny, but like, you know, he, he's young. He ain't, he's, doesn't have the grown man strength that Harrison does. So I think, I think that could work. And if you can have, if you have like a six, 10, three, it's pretty, pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, to be honest, between these two, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong choice, but <sighs> yeah, oh, geez, it. I'm, I'm second guessing a lot. <laughs> Look, I, I know I know the Kings don't don't have a good history with this, but like I really want them to get the number two pick because whoever goes first, you can't go wrong with a second guy. 
<laughs> yeah. Now, granted, I know the Marvin Bagley stuff. Like, you don't, you might not want the second pick, but like, I get, but I think like you can't go wrong with whoever gets picked first. And hell, if you if, if Paolo gets picked first, like, and he very much could. Like, Detroit might want to look at a guy like Paolo who can go get buckets. He doesn't fit cleanly on the Kings, but there's a lot of teams that can, that he can't fit in, like the Rockets, Detroit. OKC, like, I think those teams would, would, you know, be happy to have, granted, they'll be happy to have the other two as well. But like, Paolo's a good player. Like, I wouldn't hate it if we didn't trade the pick and got Paolo instead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, so I, I'm going to pick Chet to go number one. I just think his uh, defense, I think his defense is game changing. And in this league, in order to have a good defense, you need a good rim, good rim protector. And mm-hmm. I think Chet can be that guy. And then on offense, you figure it out. Jabari, great shooter and a very good perimeter piece, and probably could be a very probably could be a very viable like all NBA defender type, possibly. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like on um, you know, as kind of that, you know, 6'10 guy that can like guard up to twos. Like that's a very valuable thing. And maybe and like, but I just think the rim protection is more important than perimeter defense. Or it has a bigger effect for sure. I see. Yeah, which is very true in a lot of ways. Yeah, so that's why I would go with Chet and you will go with Jabari. And maybe, maybe at some point, maybe, you know, in some, I, I do change my mind between the two. Maybe Paolo can go first as well. I, I don't think I would pick him with the number one pick. Just Again, he doesn't fit as cleanly, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll have to see. Okay, well that's uh that's it for the draft. Uh let's let's shift over. Like I talked about a little bit on the last episode about the coaching search. So the the three candidates that are candidates that are left are Mike Brown, Steve Clifford, and Mark Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> let's get the let's get the let's get the elephant out of the room. Mark Jackson. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, seeing those reports about Vivek, loving Mark Jackson, not liking it, <laughs> not liking look, Vivek. Look, there, it's look. Mark Stein is a is a great reporter. Somebody definitely did tell him, and enough people told him for him to put it in his report. But so the in the so that was published before, like before the second round of inter- interviews. That was like right after the first round of interviews, and mm-hmm. reportedly Vivek was not in the first round what oh so i'm now i'm not saying that that report isn't true now it very much could be true maybe it's just out there but i I will say at least from what i've heard from like uh james ham and maybe even like i think jason jones mentioned it there's a lot there's a lot of these minority owners who quote unquote want power per se and kind of want to oust vivek and might just honestly might just be trying to like start some shit and just kind of get the public uh, the court of public opinion against Vivek is kind of what I'm what I'm kind of theorizing and it might just be like a minority owner who's the source of that leak if you will who who knows I'm I'm not I'm not doubting Mark Stein enough people told him where he felt comfortable publishing this and but there is a little bit of just weirdness because Sam Amick just did, did report like Vivek was not in the first round of interviews. So, you know, that that ultimately, if Mark Jackson doesn't get hired, this this report might might be nothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which I mean, to be honest, as long as we I mean, to be honest, again, as long as it's not Mark Jackson, in my opinion, 
I think we should be fine. Uh, and you know, I'm not gonna spend too much time defending Mark Jackson. I don't, I don't love his coaching. His coaching, like, there was a ceiling to it. It wasn't a very creative offense. But you can never deny that he did. Tar- he did point the um, Warriors in the right direction by getting them to play defense and mm-hmm. installing a philosophy. Like he did do that, and that should not be forgotten. Were there a lot of issues? Sure. But a lot of the stuff are, is more of the outside parties, if you will, that had issues with them. Because, like, granted, like there, there's the Fesses Azili story that, like, Harrison Barnes is not very fond of him. But like, it, you know, it does count for something that Steph Curry, Andre Iguodala, and um, Draymond Green all speak very well of him, and still like talk to him to this day. There is something mm-hmm. to that. Now, there is very famously, uh, Joe Lakeup had a line that said. The, you know, there were 200 employees that did not like uh, Mark Jackson, which honestly made it very confusing because Vivek was there. Why do you still want Mark Jackson if you were there to see all this shit happening? Anyways, but the it's just the idea is that he is not as bad of a coach as the internet would like you to believe. He's not mm-hmm. great. He's not an all-timer. But like this team needs defense and this team needs leadership. And he is, and I, I will not deny it. He will be the guy to provide that. He'll be providing a lot of other stuff, but he will provide you leadership. He will, he will like talk up his stars. He will instill confidence in his stars, much like he did with the Splash Bros and Draymond. And he will, and he will probably try to instill a defensive philosophy on this team. And I think it will work. The ceiling, I don't know, but I, I think he could. He, if all things go right, he could be the right choice. Hmm. Yeah. After you explained it, I could see that happening. Uh, in my opinion, yeah, the offense itself looks <clears throat> looks fine. Uh, we'll have to see in terms of, I guess, under new coaching. I, actually, did uh, did most of the coaching staff uh, leave the organization? So we don't know yet. Like mm. Doug Christie is in limbo. Um, was it Rico Hines is in limbo? Lindsey Hunter, those guys are all in limbo right now. So we we don't know um, until the until the coach is hired or the head coach is hired. We do, they they don't know. We don't know. We'll just have to wait. Um, let, let's move on to Mike Brown. Um, like Mike Brown, like he's an assistant coach on the Warriors right now, and we're talking a lot about the Warriors <laughs> for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like he is a defensive coach as well. Like his first stint with LeBron, he definitely. Like he, that was a very good defense. The offense was actually pretty bad, which you know sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar. The offense was kind of bad, and you know they didn't get to the fi- they got to the finals once, but couldn't break couldn't break through the second time around. And you know he was ultimately fired after LeBron left Cleveland. He had a pretty he had a decent stint with the Lakers. He had one year, um, getting them to the second round of the playoffs. And then the next year, they fired him five games into the season. I totally forgot how short that stint was. Five games. Like, we thought it was ridiculous when Luke got fired after 17. They gave him five. <laughs> um, he then went back to the to the Cavs a second time. Um, I think he won 33 games or 31 games. I don't remember the exact number, but apparently... So that was with a young Kyrie. That was with a young uh, Tristan Thompson. And apparently he actually got them over on their over-unders that season. So there's something there. 
And ever since then, he's been an assistant coach on the Warriors and part of the architect of their great defense and, you know, their overall really good team. You know, everyone speaks very highly of him. And yeah, there's nothing really bad to say about Mike Brown, other than the fact that his offense might be a teeny bit unimaginative. But he's been with the Warriors for so long, he must have learned something, right? Yeah, that's... hmm. Well, I I don't think I'm worried too much of his... uh... I mean, of our offense, worried more about the defense, uh, which hopefully he will improve on if he does get hired. Uh, I mean, our offense, I mean, from, you know, once a bonus came, looked really well, uh, looked real well, just needs some polishing. And I believe uh, just the help of some assistant coaches or whatever uh, staff that we hire, or I mean, whoever's still there, I guess, uh, will uh, benefit us from that. But yeah, his defense and, you know, the Warriors philosophy, we always would like to see. Yeah, I think, I honestly think he's probably the best choice out of the out of the three. We'll get to probably who's the safest choice. And honestly, I think we'll probably end up being the guy hired, honestly. Mm. Um, but like, he, he is the, I think he's the best choice. You know, he brings a lot of experience and, you know, he gets along with everyone. There's, there's no real, like, bad Mike Brown stories. It doesn't come with the baggage of a Mark Jackson. Um, and yeah, like, I think, you know, he is a defensive coach. There is actually a track record of that. And yeah, there's nothing really bad about Mike Brown to really speak of. I think he'll just be a good overall solid choice, if you will. Even mm-hmm. like when this, you know, like it, when this when this process first started, there was a little bit of risk of taking on like a Will Hardy, a Darvin Ham, a Charles Lee, who haven't had guys who haven't had um you know head coaching experience mike brown has had coaching experience and has been an assistant for a long time as well so the most experienced and probably the safest choice and at this point probably the best choice well let's see if i remember correctly i believe monty was pretty high on him from the reports i saw the report is basically saying that vivek is high on mark jackson monty is high on mike brown yeah, well, isn't that great? Split decision, huh? Well, you know, um, so another interesting thing, uh, Joe Dumars did <laughs> did leave. That, oh. that was just that was just weird. Oh, you didn't hear about this? I, I didn't hear about that. What? Yes. <laughs> that- oh, you did not. Okay, so um, Joe Dumars, I think literally on Monday, just the report came out from Shams that's saying that he is moving on to the NBA. He's going to work for the NBA now as I think VP of talent relations i forgot i forgot what the title was but he, he he's leaving the king's organization and apparently he the reason why he left granted his his contract was expiring but like you know th- there was talk about him wanting to come back but if he was to come back he wanted to to basically be the top guy in the front office that means he's he was going to be over vivek or no over uh monty basically monty and wes wilcox were reporting to him and the report is Vivek said no. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I wow. That's like really surprising and big news to me. Jeez. So moving on to the NBA, that's I mean, that's I could I guess I could imagine a bigger job than uh, what he's uh positioned at in the organization. Yeah, so you know, I, I he wanted more power and Vivek didn't give it to him, so I, I'm, I guess, like progress. 
I'm like yeah. shrug emoji, like, yeah. you, know, you know, I guess he just didn't let the power hungry advisor try to get his way. So I guess that's progress. Um, the, the interesting thing is, is that Dumars was in the first round of interviews and now he's just gone. It, it, just literally in the middle in the middle of the coaching search so that was really weird Let, let's see how that plays out but um yes uh vivek the report is that vivek wants mark jackson and uh, monty wants mike brown i see and mm -hmm. i do really feel bad for our third guy and i do want to give him some love and talk a little bit more about him there's been no talk about steve clifford <laughs> I, I know yeah he's just there um, so he actually interviewed on uh, Sunday and Monday. I believe Mark Jackson actually interviewed, I think, Tuesday and Wednesday, which is today. Um, and Mike Brown will be tomorrow and Friday, and I believe on Saturday as well. I, I don't remember. but he, So he did interview. And the record with um, with Steve Clifford is it's not the greatest record because he, let's be honest, took on some pretty shitty teams. <laughs> and he... He basically, the, his best accomplishment is get going to seven games against the Heat, and I believe it was 2016, if I remember right, with a team of Kemba Walker, Al Jefferson, uh, Jeremy Lin, and a host of other role players, and getting them to 56 wins. Granted, in a pretty weak Eastern Conference, but 56 wins, and also, um, let me check what the defensive, because... Uh, he he Steve Clifford is known as a defensive coach and the fact that he was able to get a defensive team or get a team with Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin and Al Jefferson on to play defense like that's pretty impressive mm. yeah he's definitely the second choice in my opinion out of the three but yeah I'm surprised there's no talks about him and you know it could be that Maybe I mean, who knows? He who, is the uns—he is the unsexiest of the unsexy names. I think even <laughs> honestly, before the first, before the second round, all of us were like, "Yeah, he's a good coach, but like, he's just not the guy." It's it's like you know those people who say like, "Oh, he's such a nice guy," but I but you know he's just too nice. He's not the guy type thing. You know that that's that's the vibe I get from him. Unfortunately. Oh God. Yeah. Um, but like it's a bit of it's a i know it's mad disrespectful i'm not gonna lie but like that that's kind of what he is like he's a good coach but like no one talks about him and he's just kind of that steady guy who doesn't come from like a like a famous coaching tree he's not from the phil jackson coaching tree he's not from the popovich coaching tree he's not even from the mike boonholster coaching tree he's from the van gundy co coaching tree yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so like he's just, he's just not a he's not a flashy guy at all and that and that could be a good thing but like the fact that he was able to get the Kemba Walker's um Hornets from you know the the 2016 Hornets team to 17th in defense that's impressive this is not that's not a lot of defensive talent and he can probably get a good defense out of just this specific roster honestly hmm so let's see what where, where is he at right now was he with the nets or something so he is a consultant with the nets ah consultant with the nets okay which just means he like he talks to them like once a month about something <laughs> like okay. they just ask a question like, pretty good gig i'll just say mm, interesting uh so it's been, probably been like a year or two since he's been last coached 
And also, let's not forget those Orlando Magic teams. He got good defenses out of those teams with Vucevic and Evan Fournier, who, you know, you know, Knicks fans discovered it does not play any defense at all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sadly enough. Um, yeah, this is it. It's tough. I mean, I, <laughs> we know so much about him, yet... <sighs> I can't imagine. It's nothing spectacular, right? <laughs> I know, it, ju- yeah. it just isn't. That's the that's the unfortunate part. He's just not flashy. I'm granted Mike Brown's not exactly flashy. And then you have the opposite side of the spectrum. And unfortunately, he's gotten just way more coverage. Mark Jackson just has a lot more baggage. Steve Clifford just doesn't have anything. He doesn't have any baggage. There's no story, like, you know, some weird cheating scandal with him. He's just a good, steady fella. And unfortunately, it's because of that. We just don't look at him. We just don't look at him that way. And he very much could be the right choice, like, honestly. And But again, just, he, you know, he, maybe he just needs to, he just need to do something really stupid. Maybe say some racist shit. I don't know. Granted, oh, dear granted that, that ain't, that's not going to get you hired here. There's no way you're getting hired now. But like, just, you got to do something to get some attention. Yeah. I mean... We trust in Monty. I'm pretty sure he'll make the right decision, or you know, hopefully the front office doesn't matter or what whatnot. But hopefully we make the right decision. I mean, whether it's Steve Clifford or Mike Brown, I, I'm fine with it, to be honest. Because yeah, I, I really can't think much about Steve Clifford at the moment for some reason. Yeah. So like in Monty, we trust, and the fact that Joe Dumars is gone, there's not that question anymore of like whose choice is it. Granted, the vet can still step in. That's the scary part. But you know, in Monty, we trust, and if the vet is willing to let his guys do his thing, his basketball people do his thing, I think it's going to be the right choice because Monty has proven he does know what he's doing. It seems. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, most definitely. All right, so uh, after all of that, let's uh, quickly do a little playoff update with Fong, actually. So before you left, um, we basically the Wolves and the Grizzlies were still in a bit of a dogfight. It was a very close series. Um, I don't remember if you were, I don't know. We did not, we didn't talk about it, but I think in game three, I believe, they blew what two 25 point leads or something the wolves did and uh my po- the point i'm trying to make is that the the wolves probably should have won this series but they ultimately lose in six and you didn't you predict that the wolves were going to win in seven to be honest i totally forgot <laughs> but yeah i wanted the wolves to win against uh, memphis but uh yeah just too bad they fell short what well, not even fall short like it just just blew it <laughs> really it just felt like every time i think they had a lead going into the fourth every game of the series except for probably two but like what the fuck <laughs> how do you guys got that's pretty impressive like i had i mean I, I always i just said like what is the what is the wolves version of kings uh like i just i just came into wolfed wolfed Woof, woof. Just woofed, just woofed <laughs> yeah. it away. But yeah, so I, I guess just to quickly, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't even mean to really shit on them, but like, wh- what are your what are your overall thoughts? You said you were disappointed, but anything else you want to bring up? Like, 
it's not mm, not really it's just it's just unfortunate but yeah they really do need to step up in that fourth quarter I mean don't get me wrong Memphis is a really good team Jaw is really good <laughs> he is a superstar and he will get them buckets but my gosh he, I mean the the Wolves has their own like little arsenal that they could have, you know, withheld their lead and, you know, could have taken a lot more games than I have expected. There was a play in, I believe it was game five. It might have happened in game six, too. So Carl and Dean has Dylan Brooks on him. Does he go into the post? Well, he tries, but it, but they don't feed it to him. Does he try? Does he go? Does he scream at his teammates to go give him the ball? Okay, it doesn't happen. Do you know what actually happens? D'Lo isos against Desmond Bain and throws it off the backboard. <laughs> so I guess this is a transition to, to, to my question for you. Should they explore trading D'Lo? I think they should. Um, the problem is, I don't know for what. And, you know, we're not really a Wolves podcast to talk more about I, that. I have no clue what they're going to get for D'Lo. D'Lo yeah. has value. He I, does. I, but like, that, that's the positive. But, I, I mean, like, they, you just got – I think you got to upgrade that position. And also, second part of the question, not say that they should do this before D'Lo. Sh- should, they, should they consider trading Cat? Ooh. I mean – from an onlooker looking into the Wolves organization, in, in my opinion, I think he would want out. Cal okay, okay, out. okay, okay, okay. Assuming he doesn't want out, this okay. is a, the the team is go, the team wants to trade him, and he wants, but he wants to stay. Should they explore trading him? Uh, I think they should, but first they should explore Dilo. And definitely Devo first. Uh, in terms of cat, that's that's kind of 50-50. I I would want to see what they could get from him, and it would have to re- uh, replace that spot. I mean, Cat is a really good player when he can be. That's so. That's the thing. Like, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll get this out of the way. I think they should trade him. Like, I, I don't think it'll work uh-huh. with him. I okay, like build yeah. around build around Anthony Edwards, and honestly, I'm almost like I'm not there yet. I'm almost to the point where like you might as well keep D'Lo and trade Cat because Cat, of course, has more trade value, but he is the gonna be the guy that holds them back more than anything. I think I'm just I'm there with him. He's just the the basketball IQ is so bad, and just the complaining, just not stepping up. Again, you have Dylan Brooks on you. I know maybe D'Lo doesn't want to pass it to you for whatever reason. That's on that's his that's on him. But cut, but go in there and yell at them to go pass you the ball. I have a dude who's I have a munchkin on me. It's time to eat, okay? But yes, I I just don't I don't think he's I just I think he holds him back. But I, like I just like I don't know how they managed to do it. There was one there was also one play a cat. I'm sorry to keep piling on cat. The end of game five. That's the uh, jaw game winning layup. Mm-hmm. You know where cat is. You know, the, the center, like Jared Vanderbilt is there to pr- kind of protect the rim, but like seven foot tall, Carl Anthony Towns, do you know where he was? 
if I remember correctly, not in the paint. <laughs> he was not in the paint. Oh, maybe he's guarding Jared Jackson Jr. You know, he's a he's a you know he can shoot threes. You might want to be out there. Oh, oh, he fouled out. He has six fouls. He didn't. He basically didn't play the fourth. By the way, what the fuck, Jaron Jackson? Jesus Christ! Stop fouling people. <laughs> um, yeah, no. You know who he was guarding instead. Kyle Anderson, thirty feet away from the basket. Granted, that's a lot of ground to cover to actually like get to the job. Why the fuck are you guarding Kyle Anderson by the three? Like, sure, I get it. You'll leave him wide open for a three. I'll take it. That's Kyle Anderson. Like the the IQ just isn't there, and I think they should. I think I think they should explore trading him. And like you know, if you can get him to the Knicks, I you could probably you might be able to talk them into trading RJ Barrett to you. That's a better option than having Cat on your team. And here's the thing: Cat is so talented that it, you you shouldn't do that. But I just think that the mental aspect, he's not the guy. He's so, he's just a guy that just is all very talented. But will never reach his potential because he just doesn't have the mentality to go for it. He he legitimately is the the center version of Andrew Wiggins, with with <sighs> even more talent. Ah <laughs> uh, man, so let's see. How old is he? He is twenty six. He's very young still. He's very young, and that's the that's the thing. You they should people shouldn't listen to me. This is a very stupid idea to trade Cat, but I just think down the line, this is as high as his value is going to be. This is kind of the Halliburton. Uh, this is kind of the Halliburton, uh, you know, argument. You could get something really good for Cat right now. He is at his highest value, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it really all comes down to your trade, which mm, don't know who, of course. But yeah, I, 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 I still want to believe that it's, uh, he could still work with Minnesota. I think he can. I think he, there's a there's a version I, that I can see he can, but mm-hmm. I just, I I don't believe it'll happen. I just think his basketball IQ is so bad, and just yeah. I don't think he. I just, I just and it's been this long. His defense has been bad for a long time. It's one of the reasons why they're in the rut the way they were for so long, and I just don't think he'll ever get there. Mm. Yeah, sadly enough. Uh... Maybe in a no, no, not even. <laughs> I won't even say with the next five years. To be honest, I mean they, he's coming off an extension too. Better yeah. figure it out quick. I think he'll he'll look uh, elsewhere in the near future. I don't think now, but maybe within the next couple. I, I, and I'll say this: if he's like demanding a trade, ship his ass out. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it's. it's He's not. He's not the type of guy to kowtow your franchise to. That's just. That's just the way I see it. Mm-hmm. And, um, quick, quickly talk about the Rudy Gobert stuff. Like, so apparently Rudy Gobert has said that. Apparently there was a report. Uh, granted, from a reporter I've never heard of, but he is verified. Whatever that's worth. He, he, there was a report saying that Rudy Gobert basically said, "It's either me or Donovan." Oh my gosh! Really. Who are you keeping? Of, of course, Donovan. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of the funniest things in the world. Okay, sorry to cut you off. But, I mean, what <laughs> was he thinking? Like, I mean, yeah, if you want out, let's trade you for something <laughs> else. Yeah, yeah. We, you got value, so somewhere else, we'll get value back. 
Look, I'll defend Rudy a little bit here. He is a transcendent level. He is a very, very, he possibly all-time defender. But, and that the defense is not his fault. He does his best to try and like cover up the absolutely god-awful defense that, you know, his his players were playing. Like Donovan did not play any defense. Well, Bogdanovich, no defense. Clarkson, no defense. He had to cover up all those guys. And in a different scheme, like where he's allowed to switch a little bit more, where, you know, the other guys actually rotate around, like, you know, like a team defense should, he would be a very valuable piece. That being said, you're paying $40 million for a guy who is who is arguably worse than Damian Jones on, on offense. I'm just saying. Like, I've never, like, the issue with him is not defense, it's offense. He can't catch the ball. He has no touch. He has some of the most awkward arm movements I've ever seen. And for some, somehow he thinks he's hot shit. I'm just saying. Like, I, I get, I get pretty annoyed just listening to Draymond Green talk shit sometimes. I'm like, yeah, you're really, really good. I don't want to hear from you. And I sure as hell don't want to hear from Rudy. Yeah. I'm sorry if the Jazz are have if the Jazz are smart, buy Rudy <laughs> Donovan. Uh, uh, the the other, however there is a there is a kind of a curveball. Donovan might want out, like straight up. So like you might end up having to trade Donovan. And let's be honest, he has more value anyways. Like that's a tough spot to be. But like the Rudy situation is tricky. Yeah, that is tricky. Jeez. <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's gonna have to come with time. Like if Donovan wants out, uh, that would be pretty tough on Utah. But if Rudy wants out, yeah, what, let's see what kind of pieces they could bring in for Donovan if he does stay. Would you want to trade? Would you want to trade for Donovan if you were the Kings? Oh my gosh, what what what, what would we have to even give up? Jeez, I think unfortunately it will have to include Fox. But let but let's just say in a. I guess in a in a world where you don't trade Fox and you start Donovan and De'Aaron, like, do you think that'll work? I think theoretically it can, but that'd be interesting if we do somehow trade Fox for Donovan, and we'll see Davion and Donovan out there together. That'd be an interesting combo as well. Look, like I look, there's no debate. Like Donovan is better than De'Aaron. But like with how bad Donovan's defense was in the playoffs, like I don't think the gap is that far. And like if Fox, ha- like I had a I had a I had a debate with my coworker. Like he he's very low on Fox, but I'm I I might be a little bit ho- too high on Fox. But at the same time, like you give De'Aaron an open sp- like open space like the Jazz have with Donovan. Like I think I think Fox could be could be you know jaw levels of effective. Mm-hmm. Granted, mm-hmm. Ja is better. There's no debate. I'm not debating that. But like, you give him open space to get downhill. He's a really good finisher. He very could, much could be unstoppable all on his own and get to Donovan's level. Mm-hmm. The defense, we can worry about that later. But you know. yeah, yeah, that will, that's a big what if. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be a very high octane offense for sure. Defense, yeah, we'll have to see about that. Yeah, that's it's a very interesting uh, dot, but I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> you know. 
And again, I'll, I'll say this again. If if we didn't trade for Sabonis, I would think about the Rudy thing. I think Rudy, you get Rudy, that's a top, that's a top 10 defense right there immediately. Like mm-hmm. as much as we shit on him, again, I don't think defense is his issue. It's his offense, and that's a that's an adventure to deal with. But like, you know, if we didn't have Sabonis, uh, I would think about it. But with Sabonis, I don't think that would work. You're talking about yeah. a guy who does not space the floor at all. Yeah, now that's another big thought because you know, we would still have Tyrese and whatnot and we would still have to give up a lot for Rudy. Yeah. Um, you would actually have to give up Fox in that deal. I think no matter what, this homie earns $40 million a year. Yeah. It's uh, lots of tough what-ifs, but I, I think the Sabonis way is the right way. Yeah. Okay. Um, there, I mean, I could ask you about other series as well, but we'll end on this one. So, um, let, let's start with this. Draymond Green. Ha- um, did you see the Draymond Green flagrant that got him ejected in game one? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually watched it live. Yeah. <laughs> did you think it was a flagrant? Well, uh, oh. let, let, let's not. Okay. Did you think it was a flagrant too? <laughs> it was definitely a flagrant. It's definitely a flagrant. Definitely not a flagrant too. I was shocked when he was walking <laughs> out. Okay. It might be a bit of a controversial take for me. It was definitely a flagrant two because of just how flagrants are being called now. You, you're oh. like, that, that's that, that's my that's my first take. However, I'll add to this. That is what a flagrant foul should be or flagrant one should be because that was a violent yank. The way the way he yanked, uh, you know, Brandon Clark down it like it was I think I thought it was a really dangerous play, honestly, and he, he could have gotten hurt. Luckily, he didn't. But like like let, let's just let, i'll say it this way that if you're an old school enthusiast like old school 80s fouls that is what a flagrant should be a, fl- a flagrant one i mean mm-hmm. like and then and then you move on he shoots two free throws draymond stays in the game i think that in a perfect world that's what it would be but with the way that flagrants are being called now where oh you scrape a guy on the head like there was a play uh in game six and I felt so bad for Carlton Towns on this one, where he's trying to go for the block, but he just happens to catch Brandon Clark in the head, and it ends up being a flagrant one. That's a bullshit call. That's not a flagrant one. But with the way they're being called now, yes, that is a technically a flagrant, which is fucking stupid. But yes, but the way Draymond yanked him, I thought that was a flagrant too. Hmm. I see. So you're still holding on to that being a flagrant too for Draymond. Yes, and like this is this is gonna be my hot take that I that I that I said last I didn't say on the last episode, but I did preview it. Like, granted, so let's just say let's just say Brandon Clark gets hurt. Is this is this is this just as bad as the Grayson Allen Alex Alex Caruso one? Oh man. No, that one was worse. Now, now that one was worse like because he's in the air and you yank him down like that was dirty oh but, yeah like, i can make it well like granted I, I i don't think like you know draymond like was done with ill will i guess like not ill intent but like the way that draymond yanked him down like he kind of knew what he was doing he wasn't going to try and hurt him but it was very dangerous and yes he he really violently yanked him down so and yeah, so I, I thought it was a flagrant too, and I and, see. and the people that are like saying, "Well, he went to check up on," I'm like I don't give a fuck, he fucking yanked him down, like fucking almost fate, 
face buster him straight down to the ground. I don't care if he's trying to look like hold him up. Like, like is it is it less of a crime when you shoot somebody? You go to check them. You still kill them. <laughs> so I don't I don't think I don't give a shit about that. But I, sure, right call. I think it's a bad call. Well, I think it's a bad call, but it was the right call. Do you mm. want to eject Draymond for that? No. But with the way that flagrants are being called nowadays, that is 100% of flagrant two. Man, that really sucks because I, I, I really thought it was just a regular flagrant one. I mean, in terms of ill intent. Look, I didn't even talk about the first part where he hit him in the face. I don't think that was intentional. It was just like, you know, his face happened to be there type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, again, the, the yank was really, that that was unnecessary to say the least. Mm, I'm gonna have to rewatch that <laughs> and see and determine again. But as it stands, I, I still think it was just a one. Brandon Clark is good, by the way. I really like Brandon Clark. Yeah, I like him too. Yeah, he was like the twenty-something pick. That was that's crazy. Is he really? Jeez, he was a late pick if I remember right. But oh, uh, well, let, let's move on to the other flagrant foul. Uh, so it is reported that GP two has a fractured elbow. Um, will be out three to five weeks. So pretty much, unless the Warriors make the finals, he he probably will be out for the rest of the season. Now, I'll say this. Well, let's get your thoughts first. Did you think that deserved a flagrant two? <sighs> to be honest, I don't. I didn't see any ill intent. He was just going for a block, and it just happened to his head. <laughs> I, I mean, and Gary Payne was in the air. And like you said, what was that? I said, and unfortunately, Gary Payne was in the air. While he yeah, was yeah. Sadly. In today's game, like you said, it probably would be a flagrant two, but I I still think it's a flagrant run. It's it's too bad that it's a, or it's too bad that Gary Payne did get the worst end of the stick where he did get injured and will be out. But uh, what, what what about this? I I don't think you've actually seen the. You know what? Pull up the clip and watch it. And I want to so mute yourself. I'll talk about it. Okay. Just watch the clip, because like from what I'm hearing, I don't think you watch the clip. Anyway, uh, yeah, so you watch the clip. I'll talk about this. So, I I've always felt that this like I don't think it was done with ill intent. Like he tried to go for the block, and he's just trying to make a, the play on the ball. But the way he did it was just so reckless, and it's it was unfortunate that it you know ended up injuring the guy. I think if he doesn't get injured. I think it's still a flagrant too, just because the way he hit his head mm-hmm. and like the way he got injured. And, but like, yeah, I thought it was just so reckless. And I think that, you know, he's going to be suspended. It, it, you need, you need to suspend him for, for this. But, you know, I just think like you should, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Like you, you had no chance of really making a play. And honestly, if you're going to make a play, be a little better about it and not, you know, absolutely maul the dude in the air and break his damn arm on the way yeah. down. Okay. After the fifth time watching it, yeah, it, he, he really tried his hardest to wipe. <laughs> he slammed his head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards the two now. And I, I will say... Like you know, you know, to end on a, I guess a positive note. Not trying to make light of the situation. 
Warriors fans, you might you might want to you might want to root for him not to get suspended because holy shit, holy shit, Dylan Brooks was bad in the first game. You want to talk about like Buddy Heald levels of like shot IQ? Like my God, he took some awful shots in game one. I think it was like three for eighteen or three for sixteen, and mm-hmm. like a lot of those shots were like the pull up pull up dude in your face short range. I'm just like. Who the fuck is this guy trying to take these shots? Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for Jared Jackson and Jaw, I, I mean, to cover his uh, mistakes of, I think it would have been a different game, to be honest. And like, yeah, like Warriors missed some wide open ones late too. Like Steph had a wide open three he missed. Clay missed two free throws for some reason. Like, like they they did like the the Warriors did all they could to give the give the Grizzlies that game. They still couldn't take advantage. And also, like you know, Jared Jackson, you see what happens when you don't foul foul everyone. Like, <laughs> you actually get to play and you actually look good. Like, yeah, but yeah, Warriors fans, you might want to you might want to root for no suspension because uh, fuck me, Dylan Brooks was bad. <laughs> oh yeah, what you recall? Jared Jackson did foul the second game, right? He did. Oh boy, yeah. I don't even get like the most annoying thing. Cat does this, and it's what pisses me off about him a lot. You fouled the shit out of the dude. Like there was one where he like straight up need Looney, like you know, you know, going up. I'm like, and then he tries to like, you know, he has his looks like, oh my god, I can't believe this about. I'm like, on the replay, you need the dude. Like you went up, your knees connected with his face. I'm like, what are you complaining about? Ugh. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that that's my that that's the that's the new thing I hate about these young some of these young guys. It's like you fouled the dude. What what the fuck are you complaining about? Uh, well, today's refing and today's game is a lot different than what we're used to, sadly. But yeah, especially the refing, it's it's kind it's kind of interesting to see how much it's changed year after year too. I just so my big thing nowadays, what the MB, where the NBA fucked up is that they keep trying to call it by letter of the law. Like, you know, what, you know, by the letter of the law, that's a gather. By the letter of the law, that's a shot attempt. But the way they call it, they don't actually call it by the letter of the law, but they try to. And it just causes this weird, they basically, they're, they're no man's land in terms of getting calls right, is what I'm trying to say. Like, th- there was a late game play where the ball, like, Clay misses a second free throw, but, it, but the ball goes off of Dylan Brooks, but they call it off the Warriors. And by the letter of the law, for whatever reason, they couldn't review it because there was no call, there was no debate, whatever the fuck. And it's like, why wasn't review? Why wasn't the review used? Like, and it's it's it basically becomes this weird thing where nobody knows what the rules are anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, of course, especially how much refs. Especially the refs, geez. I don't know what to say about it now because, it, but I mean, who knows? By next year, it's probably going to be uh, switched around again or changed. Or it, it all really depends on that ref. Yeah. Well, they'll well they'll say they'll do something. They'll like change the rule about something. Do it for six weeks and then forget about it because the new the new like the 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 what's it called the freedom of movement or whatever the shot the what's it called the 
basically the unnatural movement is, is what they I think is what they call it for like shots like the the stupid ass rip through move that Chris Paul does like that still gets called like Harrison Barnes did it a lot like I don't know anymore like just make up your mind about how you want to call the games and just call it one way don't try to get too cute with like the technicalities and all that stuff it's just it's just bullshit Let, let's stop it just just call it on the floor you know don't go, stop going to reviews as much or just for the love of fucking god have a fourth guy there i don't care have a fourth guy there to just see oh is it out is it was that a flagrant or was that a what is that was that who was that out on just speed it up i hate going to the reviews i hate timeouts like let, like let's just keep the game flowing mm-hmm. oh yeah okay that was a random rant about nothing okay well um i'm basically out of juice um is there anything else you want to talk about Mm, not to my knowledge i mean we've gone on for quite long enough i think okay well then let's call it a night um thank you guys for listening hopefully uh you guys enjoy the return of fong hopefully you enjoy returning and uh yeah, um, we'll, I'll just see what we talk about next time. It will probably be Jaden Ivey and Shane Sharp, and then probably another playoff update. And hopefully, mm-hmm. by the next episode, we could possibly have a coach. Oh, yeah. I guess we shall see. So, I know this month we're going to know the positioning of the drafts. Do you remember the day? It, I believe it is the 15th. Let me check that out right now. Oh, man. That day's going to come quick, but it feels so far away from now. Let me see. May 17th. Sorry. It's on a Tuesday. What? Oh. That's weird. Okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's cross our fingers and see. Look, come on, basketball gods. The Kings have never had the number one pick before. The Cavs have, have the Cavs has been in the lottery. They've actually had the number one pick, I think, three years in a row. Like, come on. Give us some love. I have high hopes that will get top five yeah let's have, hope let's hope something something epiphany Look, <laughs> i don't know not not to not to dash your hopes there's a very real possibility we dropped to ninth i yeah as usual i guess yeah so we'll see uh until then uh we'll be well yeah we'll come back to you hopefully by late later this week we'll have to see how the schedule plays out um, it, I mean, if there is breaking news, we are more than happy to jump on for an emergency pod. But until then, uh, let's hope for the best for our coaching search. Let's hope for the best for our lottery odds. And yeah, enjoy NBA playoff basketball. It's been good so far. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Games today. Well, I guess Maz lost against the Suns again. They got punked. I've watched some of that games. Like, I'm. I'm just the way they're able to handle Luca. Granted, Luca's probably a little hobbled too, but like the way they're able to handle Luca is pretty amazing. Mm, oh yeah, Let's the, sun, see what the Suns are good. <clears throat> oh yeah, the Suns are good. Uh, in terms of the East today, Miami and Philly. Miami won again, and and beat it. And beat doesn't sound like he's coming back game three. Mm, I see. Jeez. Is it that bad? I mean, like, you know, or his face fracture, <laughs> like, well, no fracture is just, I mean, I, I feel, that's what I really feel bad for him just because, like, he, he just never, he can't stay healthy. And this one's not even his fault. He, some dude elbowed him in the face. 
Ah, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. For I pray high hopes for Miami. Uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry, Joel. That bad JoJo that uh, Daryl Morey brought to you with the Ben Simmons stuff. I'm sorry, it's coming on to you, but you know, I don't feel bad for the Sixers at all. I was just saying. That. <laughs> no. <laughs> have, have fun paying James Harden the supermax this off season. Oh, dear God. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna come all full circle for them. Let me take a look. So I think he had 15 points in the first half, or something along those lines. Ended with 20. Ended with 20 points. Jeez. Okay. I, I'm looking at Danny Green's uh, field goal right now. Oh yeah. Um, well, he 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 made one three. Out of nine. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. Good for you guys. Uh, yeah. Have fun. Have fun with this team, Sixers fans. Uh, you guys were so high. Uh, on the Harden trade, I wasn't. I mean, Maxi was good, um, so there's that. But like, yeah, have fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should end it now. <laughs> okay, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll come. We'll catch you guys back on the next one. All right. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs>